Bibles this morning and open them up to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and we are going to conclude our look at the last things according to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to look at verses 31 to 46. 31 to 46, and if there is a rather abrupt end to this morning's message... Bear with me. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word this morning, starting in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So over the last two months, we have been exploring and explaining our Lord Jesus Christ's teaching and description of the end times. All of that's recorded for us in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. And these two chapters, this entire lecture forms one prolonged answer to a question that had been asked of Jesus way back at the beginning of chapter 24 in verse 3. The question brought to him privately by his disciples. The question is, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And in answer, or in response to their question, Jesus, in these chapters, outlined and unfolded for them the basic eschatological, that's a fancy word for the end times, 
an end times outline beginning with what they as his disciples and us up into our day can expect all of us who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, what we can expect in and from the world leading up to the days of Christ's return. Jesus told them, and he tells us, there will be wars and rumors of wars, that nation will rise up against nation, there will be famines, there will be earthquakes, there will be other disasters, and that Christians, when I say the word Christian, I mean true Christians, those who truly love Jesus, believe in Jesus, obey Jesus. These will be specifically, these specifically will be hated by the nations, and they'll be delivered up to affliction, even by so-called loved ones at the behest of the nations that hate them, and they will even be put to death for their allegiance to Jesus. He also warned that false prophets and those claiming to lead people in the direction of joy and happiness and life, they're going to rise up and they're going to use that influence, they're going to use their platform not to direct people to salvation by grace through faith in the name of Jesus, but away from your true joy, freedom, liberty, and life, all of which is found in Jesus Christ. We will see as we work, as we live in these times and move towards the end, we will see what Jesus told us in John 10, 10, that the thief, meaning Satan, and all who belong to him, they come to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus came that they, meaning his sheep, meaning those who truly believe in his name, that they may have life, and not just a little bit of life, but he says they may have life abundantly. Some of your translations might say life and life to the fullest. This world will, according to Christ, during the days leading up to the end, slowly but surely move in the direction of increased lawlessness. As the love of many grows cold, as the general mass of humanity grows ever more self-centered, ever more inward-focused, ever more concerned with gaining and achieving what they think they deserve, and then trying to reshape reality to fit their own fallen and corrupted lusts and passions and expecting everyone to go along with them. And as all of this takes place, Jesus said those who truly love him, those who are committed to obeying him and honoring him, will continue preaching the gospel to the nations as a testimony both to himself as Lord and Savior of the nations, of all who believe, and to his being judge and jury to all who reject his glorious offer of salvation by grace through faith in his name. Jesus also then moved on and detailed a time of future tribulation, a time of affliction that will come upon the world, uh, as he says in chapter 24, verse 21, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and ever will be. And if you want to know more about what passes in those days, you can read that in Revelation chapters 6 to 16. And immediately after this time of tribulation, Jesus said he will return on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory to establish his kingdom here on earth. And eventually that earthly kingdom will lead into an eternal kingdom where his saints, his sheep, enjoy him in glory forever and ever and ever while the goats... Goats here symbolizing those who refuse to repent of their sin, who will not put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. The goats will be excluded from his glorious kingdom. And if you you followed the text with us this morning, it tells you they will be cast into the outer darkness. They will be cast into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
And so with all of this timeline being set down by the Lord Jesus Christ, he then tells a few parables to help us understand, so with all of that information, then how are we supposed to live here and now? And he described in a series of three parables how those who profess to love him are to live as we wait for the end of the age, a time that may or may not come to pass in our lifetime. And the main point of these parables include things like Christians must stay awake and be aware. Christians must live light, life in light of the certain return of Jesus, meaning we live our lives now in recognition of the fact that Jesus will return one day to gather us up to be with him where he is forever and ever. We remain on the lookout for the arrival of our glorious master and we live steadfast, diligent, obedient lives for his name as we wait. During these days of waiting and watching, Jesus calls us in these parables to make sure that we are truly saved, to examine ourselves. If you call yourself a Christian, make sure you are truly saved, that you've truly, genuinely, and decidedly turned to Jesus in faith, because Jesus calls on you, he calls on me, he calls on every single one of us to examine whether we truly are Christians or whether we are Christians in name only. As in one who appreciates a few things about Jesus, maybe you like the nice palatable things about Jesus, but you don't actually love Jesus. Those types are not actually ones in whom the Holy Spirit lives. If your life is one where you say, yeah, Jesus is pretty neat, but your life doesn't evidence fruitfulness for, his, for him, then you must examine yourself to see whether you're truly in the faith. And now as we come to our text in Matthew 25, we come to the conclusion or the capstone or the final portion of this end times discourse. Jesus will cap it off by picturing the scene that is going to unfold at the final judgment. He had already, in Matthew's gospel, spoke about this time in a much shorter way back in chapter 16, verse 27, when he said this, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And here now, as we come to our text, Jesus is going to expand upon that and describe, beginning in chapter 25, verse 31, this day. He starts and says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, meaning when or at the time when Christ returns in all of his glorious splendor, in his radiance, in his greatness, and in his honor. And verse 31 continues, And all the angels with him. Do you see that? All the angels. Christ is going to return in glory and all the angels with him. The heavenly angels arrive, and these angels are given very specific duties to perform. They will be sent, according to the text, to gather. Whether it's the gathering up of the wicked, or the gathering up of the elect, or the gathering up of the Christian, as Jesus has already revealed, for example, back in Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 to 42, Jesus said, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This angelic duty of gathering is also referenced by Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, when he wrote this in Jude 14 and 15. Behold, the Lord comes 
with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Jesus. But not only will the angels gather up the wicked and the ungodly to cast them into the fiery furnace, but as we read in chapter 24, verse 31, for example, Jesus will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So when Christ returns and all the angels return with him on his behalf, they will go out and they will gather up all the peoples for this great and final judgment. Look again now at chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So as Christ is speaking this word to his disciples, he's doing so a mere three days before he will be fastened to a cross, before he will be betrayed, put on, a, on trial, and crucified at the hands of idolatrous men, something Jesus volunteered to do. He had volunteered to endure it in order to come here and to seek and to save the lost. He suffered all of this so that anyone, anyone who truly turns to him in faith so that all who believe in his name would not perish eternally, but have eternal life. And while this first visit to earth at his what we call incarnation or his taking on flesh, it was one of meekness. This day, on this day when he returns, it will be in glory and it will be in power and might and splendor and it won't be to die, but it'll be to take his rightful seat on his glorious throne. And not only will Jesus sit on his glorious throne, but look at verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I want you to notice a few things about this here. Who is it that's sitting on the throne? It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Who is it that is the true king over all of creation? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the one who will ultimately separate the peoples into their respective categories of sheep or goats? Which picture again, true, genuine, saved by grace through faith, believers, sheep, and goats, which picture those who reject and re re reject under death the offer of eternal life given to them. Who is it that does this separating? King Jesus himself. And I want you to also notice who it is that is gathered before King Jesus on this day. All the nations. Meaning every single last human being who has ever existed will be gathered before the Lord Jesus Christ in this day. Revelation 20, it speaks about a book called the Book of Life. And in that book are recorded all the names of all who will be with Jesus, all who will enjoy eternal life with the Lord in heaven. If your name is not found in this book, you will be thrown into the lake of fire at this final judgment. If your name is found written in this book of eternal life, you will enter into the joy of your master. And if you're asking the question, well, how do I have my name written in this book? That's a great question. That's the question you should be asking. That's the only question that matters in this moment. Is my name in that book? And if it's not, how do I get it there? 
If you want to know if your name is in this book, then you must repent of your sin right now and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him as personal Lord and Savior, that he is the one who bore your sin. He is the one in whom is found forgiveness. He is Lord. He is King. He is Savior. On this day when all the nations and all the people are gathered before King Jesus, notice it's only one group that's actually judged. While every single one of us has to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, it's only one group that is judged, and that's the goats. If you are a sheep on this day, you don't face judgment, you get rewarded. And look again at verse 32. He separates people one from another. You see that? People one from another. He separates individual people into their proper categories. He separates people into either the sheepfold for eternal life or into with the goats for the judgment unto eternal punishment. And this is something the New Testament warns us about over and over and over again. It is that important. Warnings about this day abound in Scripture. Romans 14, for example, the Apostle Paul wrote this, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God, so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. And again, in 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul wrote this, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And you notice, right? Where is it that we all stand on this day? Before the judgment seat, before the throne of Christ, we must all appear. Why? Because Jesus is the one true king to whom every one of us must give an account. This glorious throne and this judgment seat rightfully belongs to him and only to him. And all others, all others will be counted among the peoples and the nations gathered before Christ on this day. Now I want you to think about that for a second. Every single deceiver who has ever walked the face of this earth, along with their idolatries and their delusions, will be standing before Jesus on this final day. And if they had not repented, they will be cast into the lake of fire. Every leader and founder of any false religion or false worship, every single so-called Buddha, Muhammad, every single so-called Guru, Swami, and Dalai Lama, and the rest, every single one of them will be gathered up on this day and they will stand before King Jesus to give an account. And they will be condemned for leading the world in their violating of the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And to all of you here this morning who have not turned to Jesus in faith and repentance, hear the solemn words, the grave words of warning that are held out to you this morning. The very Jesus that you are now currently rejecting, rebelling against, or refusing to turn to is one day going to return as both king and judge, and you will stand before him. This very Jesus who at this moment right now holds out to you the gracious invitation to believe and be saved 
He will one day return, and should you continue in your refusal, he will pronounce upon you the sentence of eternal condemnation. You will be placed at his left hand with the goats, and you will hear those awful words, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal hell of fire. Now you might say, I heard a lot of comforting words and encouraging words this morning as we listened to the baptisms. And yes, there are a lot of wonderful, encouraging words to believers. But to all others, the Bible speaks no encouraging word. The great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones correctly declared it this way, and I quote, the Bible has no comfort whatsoever to give to people who are not Christians, none at all, except this, to warn you to flee from the wrath to come. If you want all of these wonderful blessings and encouragements that are held out to humanity and scripture, you must turn to Jesus Christ in faith. And if you do, when you do, All of those blessings are yours in him. But seeing that you're here this morning, drawing breath into your lungs, alive and aware, that is a mercy held out to you this morning from the Lord. At this very moment, he offers to you eternal life. Call out, if you have not, call out to Jesus in faith. Repent of your sins. Be transferred, be plucked out from among the goats and placed among the sheep at his right hand so that you might enjoy eternal life. And I want you to know something. Nobody spoke about this reality, this future judgment. Nobody warned about this more than Jesus did. Jesus himself did. We might hear much in our day out in the culture and even in church about Jesus meek and mild and that's a good thing because Jesus is compassionate and merciful and meek and mild. The problem is it slips over into this idea of a Jesus who never judges anyone anywhere. A Jesus who accepts everyone and anyone no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, no matter what they do, even if they don't repent. Simply not true. Jesus will accept everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, should you repent and believe in his name. But if you don't repent and believe in his name, you are excluded from his family. And Jesus spent much of his ministry both declaring the good news of salvation to all who call upon his name in faith, who believe in him, who trust in him, and his life definitely was a life filled with compassion and mercy. It was a life full of fully engaged in pointing people to the beauty of the gospel. And Jesus did and does indeed speak sweetly to you this morning if you are one of his sheep. If you are downcast and in misery, but you love Jesus, he speaks sweetly to you this morning. But he also speaks the clear and seemingly harsh words of eternal damnation at the same time. This eternal damnation that awaits all who reject salvation. So while speaking sweetly to you, his sheep, he speaks harshly to you, the goats. Because as the writer of Hebrews asked, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And the answer is, We can't. So this clear message of final judgment is necessary for everyone to hear. 
And what is it that Jesus is going to do on this great and final judgment day? Look again at verse 32. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. On this day, every single earthly distinction that you and I find important right now Rich or poor, celebrity or average Joe, king's leaders and their subjects and citizens from this country or from that country, it's not any one of these will mean anything. All that will matter on this day is sheep or goat, faith or no faith, grace or no grace. And Jesus will place the sheep on his right and he'll place the goats on his left. And as we've learned, the sheep here are symbolic of believers, and goats are symbolic of the rebel, the sinner who exists and lives right now apart from the grace of God. The sheep will be placed at the right hand of the king, a place of high honor and esteem, while the goats will be placed on his left. And after this time of separation, the king will speak first to the sheep. We read it in verse 34. Listen to the words of the king to the sheep. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So again, for those of you who might ask, well, what does this judgment of the believer look like? Well, here it is. Come. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You notice it. No sin is mentioned. Why? Because at his first coming, King Jesus took your sins, provided you believe, upon himself at the cross. He dealt with your ledger of sin by dying in your place and taking upon himself the wrath of God, which is due for your sin. And for all who truly believe, as we learned in the parable of the talents a couple weeks ago, or last week, the master returned not to condemn the righteous servant, but to say to him, Well done. Well done. Come here, my blessed ones. Imagine this loving fatherly tone with open arms and loving eyes and a grand smile. Come here, my blessed ones. Come closer, all of you who belong to my Father, all of you upon whom the Father has bestowed the blessing of salvation, all of you my Father has delivered from the grave consequences of sin. Come, all of you who are clothed in my righteousness, all of you who are upright in the eyes of my Father, come, inherit the kingdom, take your place as a citizen, enter into the joy of your master. Inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you, made ready for you, And so what criteria does the Lord use to determine whether one truly loves him or not? Well, you see, it's the obedience to the command that he gave to all of us in John chapter 13. In John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus said this, A new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And this is what Jesus is getting at when we read verses 35 and 36 of Matthew 25. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. 
This has always been the case among God's people that the Lord commanded and he commands us to love and care for one another. When you read things like this in the Old Testament about how you're supposed to care for one another, it was the brothers and the, the countrymen and the kinfolk of Israel that were to care for one another and by caring for each other so deeply, be a light to everyone else in the world. The people of God in the Old Testament were to, to care for one another and that principle carries over to the people of God in the New Testament. In a unique and special way, if you are a believer, the Lord Jesus Christ calls upon us to care for the needs of the fellow of your fellow believer. For example, as we read in James 2, if a brother or a sister, that phrase, he's talking about Christians and Christians, is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Now, hopefully you've recognized that this is a word about believers caring for believers. It's not a word about caring for the poor in general. Jesus said we will always have the poor with us. It is focused on believers caring for fellow believers. Now, I'm not saying that Christians ought not to help the unsaved poor. What I am saying is that if a Christian decides to open a soup kitchen, it's not for the goal or end of opening a soup kitchen to give somebody soup. If a Christian opens a soup kitchen, which is great, we should do that, we do it for the sake of proclaiming the gospel to the lost as we give them soup because it is the soul that needs to be saved more than the stomach needs to be fed. When Jesus says here that I was hungry and you gave me food, he's revealing that the sheep followed his command to love other sheep. And in so doing, they revealed that they were indeed in a personal, vibrant relationship with Christ. Because as Jesus makes clear, we know who it is who loves Jesus, because the one who loves Jesus does what Christ's, Christ commands. And listen, historically speaking, it was this sort of love exhibited between believers that rocked the Roman Empire right to its core. It wasn't an army that caused Rome to change. In fact, you can look at Emperor Julian, and he specifically says this. The Christian faith, and he was no friend to Christianity. He actually hated Christianity. That's why they call him Julian the Apostate. The Christian faith has been specially advanced through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, meaning Jewish poor, but also our poor, meaning Roman Gentile Christian poor. While those who belong to us Look in vain for the help we should render to them. This is the emperor complaining about how much Christians loved each other and how bad it made them look. And eventually, the Roman Empire is like, oh, I want some of that. I want that love. I want to receive that love and give that love. Tell me more about this Jesus. I want him. And Rome generally converted. And if you notice, 
Just to be extra clear, Jesus is not saying that you will be saved by your works. No, we are not saved by being good. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What Jesus tells us here is that a true saving faith will necessarily evidence itself in obedience to his command or striving to obey his commands. So all of these things that he says here, they ask him, when? When did we do these for you? Because most of these men, or most of us, when we're standing here and Jesus says these words to you and I, we will not have actually seen Jesus with our own eyes. We'll be asking, when? When did we do this? Look at verse 40. The king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Do you see the degree to which Jesus identifies with those who trust in his name and believe in him? He calls us brothers. We who will believe are included in the family of God. And Jesus makes it clear here. Whatever we do for one another, we do to him. How we treat each other, whatever we do to one another, whatever we do against one another, we either do it to or against the Lord Jesus Christ. When we serve one another, we are serving Jesus. When we slander one another, we are slandering Jesus. That's how closely he identifies with you, child of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, to the least of these, that's a superlative, it's like a... a, a an extra word here, like those we would consider the smallest and most insignificant. Even whatever you would do to the person you think has absolutely no value, if they love Jesus, you do it to Christ. And listen, your tangible service to a fellow believer will not be forgotten by the Lord, as he says in Hebrews 6. God is not so unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints. And after pronouncing this blessing on the sheep, he turns his attention to the goats. And he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see the opposite here? For the sheep, it's come, come. For the, sh- the goats, it's get away from me. You cursed, you who are under the divine curse of God. Upon you, a curse has been pronounced, and you are going to be thrown into the eternal fire, the unquenchable fire. There is no adequate description in the human language to speak to either the absolute terror and torments of hell or the blessings and enjoyment of heaven. We cannot fully fathom these things. And just so we clear a few things up here, hell is not the place where Satan and the demonic realm are in charge. You notice that in the text. Hell is the place where they, along with everyone who has rejected Christ in this life, all who have died with their sin unforgiven, are go to be tormented under the just and right wrath of God. For they are evil forever. Satan does not want to be in hell. The demons do not want to be in hell. And let me tell you this, neither do you. So you see, there are only two options. There are only two ultimate and final destinations for humankind. As Jesus makes clear in verse 46, the goats will go away into eternal punishment 
and the righteous to eternal life. Again, eternal punishment is the place where God's wrath is eternally inflicted upon the wicked, and eternal life is the place of joy filled with life where we relish and delight in the Lord Jesus Christ forever. And on this day, when Christ pronounces your eternal destiny, know this, it is a fixed and unchangeable destiny. And on what side you find yourself at this final judgment depends on your response to Christ in this life. Will you find yourself on the right hand with the sheep because you turned to Jesus in faith? Or will you find yourself on the left with the goats because you rejected and rebelled against him and died in that state? I pray that you would choose wisely. And may God be glorified no matter what you decide. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we honor you. You are glorious, you are awesome. We thank you for being a God who cares enough to warn us. We may not like hearing warnings. We like to hear, for the most part, happy news. But you warn us in order to help us to see better the happy news. We know that God is, you are just and you are holy and by necessity you must punish sin. But you are merciful and compassionate and so provide a way for us to get out from under that wrath by having it fall upon Jesus Christ in our stead. We thank you for the work of Christ. We thank you that it is right there and anyone can call out to him at this moment and lay hold of it lay hold of forgiveness, lay hold of salvation by grace, through faith, in his name. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.